This morning, as Jordan said, we're going to be turning our attention to a portion of Colossians chapter 3 that speaks to the family, speaks of, of, uh, of, of uh, life in the home, life in, in marriage and family. And I uh, know that can be quite challenging. It can be a topic that, that, uh, that can bring about a lot of different thoughts and, and opinions and even emotions, depending on uh, where we're at or where we may be coming from. And so I pray that, uh, that today God will uh, help us as we, as we work through His Word in such a way that will be an encouragement to us and a, and a support. I don't know how many of you all have ever built a home. Anybody, anybody built a home before? Larry, you can't raise your hand. I, I, know, I know you have. Okay, several. That, usually that takes what? What does it take to, to build a home? Six months, nine months, something like that? I guess it depends on weather like this, right, Larry? That's going to slow, slow it down a little bit. Take, takes, takes a while. Well, I heard about a couple in Palmer, Alaska, by the name of Rocky and Pat Weldon. And uh, they decided they would put together a team of builders to see if they could set a record in how fast a house could be built. And uh, it, uh, the, the article that I read said that, that uh, they, they brought in um, a whole team of, of construction workers. There was a crowd of about 6,000 spectators and a country band that played music while everything was taking place. They, uh, they built a two-bedroom home in uh, three hours and 53 minutes. And so, yeah, I, now I, didn't, I, I don't know if it's still standing or not, okay? It, it, that, that wasn't in the article, but that's fast they constructed this. I thought, I wonder if that's a world record. And so I, I did a little bit of reading online and found that uh, Habitat for Humanity has had similar uh, competitions like this, where they've even built a house in under three hours from foundation all the way to, uh, to the roof. And I, I, I think that's amazing, uh, particularly to think about something that's like an instant house. Brick and mortar may be able to be put up in a matter of a few hours. But as we think about what it really takes to build a home, love and hope and trust, patience, these kinds of things take time, don't they? We may have these instant houses within our world today, but homes take time to build. And oftentimes we don't have, we don't have the band playing for us, right? We don't have all the, the help of, of all the different uh, people that were there with, uh, with the Weldon family that day. I don't know that any of us could ever sit down and, and say that, we're, that we've completed our work can we? If, if you have, let me know about it, because I, I don't feel anywhere close to have been able to, com, to complete the work in, uh, in building a home or a family. This morning, we're going to be looking at the latter part of Colossians 3, which, which touches upon uh, life in the family. But before we get there, I want to remind us of where we've been. As we go through the book of Colossians, we have seen that it, it started out very much telling us who Christ is. And then as it works through from chapters 1 through uh, where we're at in chapter 3, it begins then to, to tell us who we are in Christ. So we begin with the identity of Christ, and then it, it also helps shape in a very real and practical way our identity. And so chapter 3 was a real turning point as we got from something that was very much theological, very much a, a, a doctrinal study of who Christ is, and then as we've seen over the last few weeks, it got very practical about what that means for us day to day. So let's recap a little bit of the book of Colossians. We begin in chapter 1 and see that the nature and character of Christ is defined. Christ is, is presented as both the creator and the redeemer, the reconciler. And if you remember, 
It was written to an audience of people that were comprising a, a young church. And Paul had heard that there was other teaching that was in their area, this, this Gnostic teaching, this idea that there was a superior knowledge, that you could take what the Bible says, but then you had to add other things to it, asceticism and mysticism and all these other thoughts of the day, and you, through, through pulling it all together, create this superior knowledge. And Paul was saying, no, you don't need that. What you have been given in Christ is enough. He is sufficient. In fact, he is supreme over all, from creation all the way to redemption. And so, so in, this, in this book, he is then helping this young church to see who they are in Christ, how they are made new in Christ, and how they are complete in Him. And he gives them passages like chapter 1, verse 10, that says, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So he's, he's encouraging them to grow in their faith, grow in their understanding of Christ, allow Him to, to bear fruit within their daily lives. He says in verse 18 that, that Christ should be preeminent. Or when we looked at it that week, we said that's really the same thing as saying Christ should have first place, first place in our lives. We looked at, ha at what that meant for Christ to be first place in our church. For Christ to be first place in our homes. And so it's a theme that, that continues all the way from chapter 1. As we went into chapter 2, we saw verse 6. It says, once you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him. And it uses pictures of a, of a tree that's, that's being rooted, that's, that's, that's being, that's being uh, rooted in Christ in a way to, to draw sustenance and bear the fruit that's needed. And then it uses the, the analogy of a building and says it speaks about having a foundation being established and built up in our faith. As we continue in to chapter 3, he then tells us that if we've been raised with Christ, that we are to seek the things that are above. And so, so Paul says to this young church, you have an old life and you have a new life. You have that which you're to take off and that which you're to put on. And so we spent a couple of weeks looking at what that meant putting off, verse 9, the old self and its practices. Chapter 3, verse 10, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So throughout the book, we've seen the supremacy of Christ. We've seen the big picture perspective that Jesus is Lord of all, that he is both creator, that he is redeemer, and that he is what we need, and that in him we are complete because he is sufficient. That's the up-close-and-personal view when we are made new in Christ. And so we take that and we move further into chapter 3 and we see that who we are in Christ impacts the relationships that we have with those around us. And so what I thought we would do today is we would look at chapter 3, verse 18, and go all the way to the end of the chapter. And what you'll see is that there are some verses that speak about connecting our faith to our family, to the home. And that there are also some verses that, uh, that, that, that pick up from verses 22 to the end of the chapter that, that then speak of connecting our faith uh, into the workplace and into uh, everyday life that, that, we, that, uh, that we have. And so sometimes there is a disconnect as believers. We, we come to worship, we, we study the Word, we sing praises to the Lord, we, we give Him our attention and our time on a Sunday, 
And then we say, well, what difference does that make come Monday morning? Well, this passage is so practical. It speaks to the difference that it makes in our home, in our marriage, and as we will see next week, the difference that it makes in our, in our workplace and in our everyday lives. And so I had thought we'd take all of that today, but then as I worked through it, I said, no, we're going to just have to take half of that, otherwise we're going to be here for a while. So for this morning, we're going to look at the first point, connecting faith to family. And then next week, we'll be looking at connecting faith to everyday life, everyday uh, work, the work environment, the calling of vocation. And I think if you've not, if you've not considered that in, uh, in recent days, that I think that section of Scripture might, might be very encouraging for you to see that there isn't a disconnect between who we are on Sunday morning and who we are on Monday morning. That, that in Christ, everything is sacred. All of it. There's not a divide between what is sacred and what is secular. And it even applies to our home. It's not like we're one way or that we're one person as we worship the Lord and then something different as we walk into the family. It's who we are in Christ shapes who we are in the home. And that our, that our walk with Christ impacts the way that we uh, conduct ourselves in the home as husbands, as wives, as children. And so uh, we're going to see this morning that there is a design that God has given for wives, husbands, and children. And uh, we'll look, first of all, at verses 18 and 19, and then we'll look at verses 20 and 21 as we see how to connect this faith that we've been studying about in the book of Colossians, how we connect that to our family. Verse 18, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So as I read verse 18, would you say that verse 18 is one of the easiest verses in the Bible or the most controversial verses in the Bible? How many of you all would like to trade places with me right now and speak about verse 18? Any, any volunteers want to jump up? Because <laughs> I thought I saw a hand back there, but I guess not. Um, this is one of those passages that, that within our society, particularly today, it's a challenge. And even as I read that, in the household of faith, we may bristle a bit as we, as we hear those verses. Both men and women may look at that and say, how does that, how does that apply? How does that make sense in the world today? Um, do you think it sparks some controversy when you begin reading verses like verse 18 and 19, particularly thinking about the, the word submission? I think it's a concept that has been misapplied in many cases, misunderstood in many ways. We'll touch on that a little bit this morning. But I think that if we had come in this morning and we had just started in chapter 4, there would have been some, some very observant people that would have said, wait a minute, we skipped part of chapter 3. What are you, what are you doing? We, you're, you're missing something there. And so um, we can't skip it. We have to stop and we have to consider even passages that are difficult that we have to, 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 to look at and say, what, what does the Lord mean by this? What does it mean for us uh, both when it was written and how it is applied today. I know that when we think about leadership in the home, we've probably seen that there, are, that there is a pendulum with two extremes. On one side, you can see the leadership as being very controlling, very domineering, uh, very authoritative, which I don't think is what is being spoken of here. But then think about the other side of the pendulum. What would be the opposite extreme? Someone who is abandoning their responsibility to lead, right? 
So you can see that on both sides. And, and probably in this room, we have experienced a little bit of all of that, right? And, and so that may be one of the reasons why a verse like this or these verses uh, present challenges for us because of what we have personally experienced. I think we would all agree that one extreme or the other is not what God designed as a fam- uh, uh, for the family. And so even though the verses have been misunderstood at times and certainly misapplied at times, it doesn't mean they should be shelved, but we should consider them more deeply to say, what does it mean for a husband and a wife? What does it mean for a family to be structured on the design or the blueprint that God has given us? You could also look over at Ephesians 5. It's a little bit more of an expanded section, but it touches on the very same matters and, uh, and gives uh, teaching about the marriage and the family relationship. As we look back, even back into the book of Genesis, we can see and remember that God's concept of marriage began in chapter 1. When he spoke of male and female, he created them. And I realize that today, the, the focus on gender and the identity as a, as, a, as a male or a female, have you seen just how much of an attack the, the idea of gender is even receiving in our, in our world today. It may be a little, a little surprising to us to see just the, the backlash about, about what it means to be a male or a female or a man or a woman. And so, uh, but what we see that God had an intent and he has a unique calling for women and men within the family unit. Now, the passage that we're looking at today speaks to the family. It's not speaking to the, to the business world. It's not speaking to the government. It's speaking about a design within the home for a man and a woman. Men and women are different from each other. And the differences were created by God so that we could complement one another. Now, is anyone bold enough to agree today that men and women are different? Okay, a few of you are. <laughs> a little bit. There are differences, right? And in fact, if you think about it, there's quite a few differences in the way God created us. That's part of the beauty of God's design was that there would be differences so that a man and woman, male and female, could complete and complement one another. That's what we see all the way back in the book of Genesis. So if we, if we recognize that, we have to see, well, what did God have in mind? You see, God wanted a marriage and a family to flourish. And so he assigns roles, he res- assigns responsibilities that must be fulfilled. Just as there are any time you bring a group of people together, there are roles and there are responsibilities. Tomorrow morning, there'll be a lot of kids going off into the classroom. And are there roles and responsibilities in a classroom or in a school? You bet there are. Uh, for some, they'll be, they'll be watching some sports teams later today. Are there roles and responsibilities on a team? Are there different positions that people play? All in, in, the, in the way of complementing. And the same is true within the family unit. I like to think of the family as something like a greenhouse. You can think of marriage and family like a greenhouse that's been given to help those who are in the house flourish and thrive. God didn't create us to to just live independently from one another. He created us to have dependency. And that applies even within the church community and church family that, that we have that we have a, a fellowship of faith together to encourage and strengthen one another. And we also see how it, it, uh, it begins within the family unit, that that's how procreation was even designed from the beginning. And so there isn't a substitute for what God has ordained, for the purpose of the family 
to strengthen and to support the individual by what is received in the home. So if you think about the family being a greenhouse and individuals in the family being in there uh, with their lives needing to, 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 uh, to, to thrive and to grow and to flourish, all of the pictures that you might have in mind of a, of a, of a flourishing, thriving greenhouse. I would ask you this morning, what is needed? What is needed in the greenhouse? What is needed in the family so that life can flourish? It's a question for you to consider this morning. What would you say is needed? Any thoughts? There's probably not any way I'm going to be able to hear you over all of the rain that's pounding, but I will try. What do you think is needed? Okay, water and sun. (laughs) Thinking about the literal greenhouse. Absolutely, that's right. That's right. What about the family greenhouse? Love? What else? Safety. Okay, that's a good one. Synergy, working together. I like that. That's good. Faith? Needing the church? Encouragement. Okay, encouragement. Thank you. Absolutely. Encouragement, support. Think about that. Think about your own personal role, or if I can use the word responsibility, to contribute to some of the needs. In fact, I'm even thinking about, you know, the idea of of, of one encouraging another and using words to build up, because words are powerful. The book of Proverbs tells us that words can build up, but words can also do what? They can tear down. They can, they can break a, a person's spirit. And so I think that the, that, the, that the weightiness of the words that we use are probably so much more powerful within the home than maybe anywhere else. Words to, that, 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 that convey love. Words that convey support. I, I heard one time a, a man say that, that fathers and, and mothers need, need to convey words to their, to their children so regularly like, I love you. I am proud of you. And not, not just flippantly, but, but really genuinely using words to encourage, to, to communicate what they see in the lives of their children where they can build them up. Of course, also there's times for correction and discipline, right? And we'll, uh, we'll look at that here a little later in the passage. But, but think about what's needed because it's so important that all of these things we've mentioned, love, trust, comfort, care, provision, protection, values, principles, support, encouragement, words that build up, all of these things happening within the family greenhouse. They really are that that provision. They are the sunlight. They are the rain, the water that's needed for life to thrive. And so for this to happen, we need to consider the fact that God wants there to be even leadership within the home. Spiritual leadership to ensure the stability of the family. And so we we see in Scripture that God has called husbands and fathers to be spiritual leaders in the home, but probably not the way that we see typical leadership in the world. And so that's where it's important for us to stop and consider, well, what is the pattern of leadership? How How has Christ exemplified the type of leadership that a husband or a father is to provide within the home. You may have heard the term servant leadership. And uh, this is something that, that helps us see that, that it's, it's not a leadership that demands 
so that one can, can have his own way or benefits, but it's to see how one can serve in order to benefit the needs of those he's responsible for. And so it's a very different way of thinking. And so when we, when we bristle at the idea of leadership in the home, we have to stop and consider, wait a minute, we would understand that there would need to be leadership in other areas in which groups are together, such as the classroom or the school or within, the, uh, uh, within a team or within a church or within a family. And so if we, if we recognize that, we need to be able to look and see, well, what, what does Christ have for us as husbands and wives in being able to make sure that godly leadership, spiritual leadership is taking place? I know the word submit that's there in verse 18 has taken on all kinds of connotations. And I know that, that leadership and, uh, has also done that as well. And so I think we're, we're looking at the idea of a husband and wife certainly working together, a husband being supported by his wife as he, as he tries to provide spiritual leadership in the home. And I, I've, I've talked about this countless times with young couples who are getting married. And do you want me to tell you that, that we can talk about a whole lot of things in in premarital counseling, and, and we can just have a lot of momentum. But when we get into the area of leadership within the home, can you guess what happens? There's, there, there's, 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 a, there's a bit of a pushback. And you know who it typically comes from? Take a guess. It's 50-50. You can get this. Usually it's the man. Wait a minute. I, I don't know about all this leadership. You know, I, I, that's not the way I envisioned it. And trying to think through the responsibility of, of being able to care for his wife by, by being a spiritual leader, a godly, sacrificial, spiritual leader. And so this is hard. And when we think about this, it's, it's, uh, it's giving support to leadership, following the leadership of someone we love, someone we respect, and that we know loves and respects us. So it's a very different dynamic than what we oftentimes see in the family or in the world. There's a practical dimension as well. When we think of yielding, you think of two cars merging into one lane, you know that there's one who, who, who has to yield for the other. And, and that's what we see oftentimes in family, family life and in marriage. And it doesn't mean that there aren't times that, that there is mutual submission. I think that any, any wise leader would recognize there's certainly a need to submit and yield to one another. Um, and just as we will look at the next verse that speaks about husbands loving their wives, would we ever say that, that a wife isn't to love her husband, that that's only something that the husband's supposed to do? No, we would recognize that there's mutual love as well. And so there's this proper balance and understanding that's needed so that we can have uh, a, a blueprint in place. Now, some think that this must mean that there is a difference in value or worth. And I would say that in Christ absolute worth and value is exactly the same between men and women. In fact, there's so many other passages of Scripture that speak to, to, the, uh, to, to, the, to the value that, uh, that, that there's even been uh, statements that there, there is no male or female, there is no Greek or Jew, there is uh, no slave or master, that this idea that in Christ we all have the same value, we all have the same worth. That doesn't mean that our roles and responsibilities are identical, so we can't just have a wholesale uh, uh, shelving of that per, uh, principle, but it does mean that as we look at this, we see the value that we are to give to one another. It can be illustrated by looking at a picture of the Trinity. God in three persons. In each aspect of the Trinity, each person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you say that they're all equal? 
Absolutely. We wouldn't say that Jesus is, is less of God or the Holy Spirit is less of God than God the Father, but we also recognize that there's different roles. And we even see that in, in, the, in the role of Jesus while he was on earth, he was submitting to the will of his Father. But it didn't mean, mean that he was any less of, of, of who he was as, as God and as divine essence. And so we think about them being equal in essence but different Enroll. Now, again, as I said earlier, we live in a day that's trying hard to erase the idea of gender, which is at the most basic level part of our created identities. There's a lot of, of what's called dysphoria, gender dysphoria and confusion that's happening. We need to be sensitive to that as a church. We need to, uh, we need to, uh, to be very graceful, and we need to, to, to seek to be understanding in, uh, in all of these things because we recognize that that we live in a world where, where people are being ravaged by hardship and, and by, by, by sin and difficulty. And so there's a lot of things out there where the church of Christ, yes, we can be a voice of truth, but we can also be a conduit of His grace in, in, in situations uh, like this. And so I want us to, uh, uh, to yet recognize the, uh, the, the culture around us and to do so sensitively. There's a good resource that has uh, been available for a number of years. It's a council that's called the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And uh, there's a website that you can go to. If you want to read some articles about, about uh, uh, gender and design as men and women, uh, this would be a great place to start. And again, coming from a biblical perspective and, and helping uh, shape our understanding of our identity in Christ as men and women. And so I would, uh, I would commend that to you. Again, leadership in the home is exceptionally challenging. All you have to do is look around and see the state of the family today within our nation and know that this is not an easy thing. Very, very difficult. And I'm sure that each of us could stand. Not that we would, but that we could stand. And we could testify about hurts that we have personally experienced, challenging times that we have personally experienced, in our marriages, in our families, or even looking back into our childhood. And so we don't take a passage like this and gloss over it glibly. We look at it and say, we know that, that it's something that, that is important and that it can also bring about uh, thoughts and memories of, of pain that we've experienced. I can remember doing some marriage counseling uh, one time, and the couple was in real trouble. And I mean, they were just barely hanging on. I don't remember exactly how I met them, uh, but it was through a, a friend of some church members, and they came to my office on, on multiple occasions. We were working through a lot of challenges. And finally, I got to the point where I thought, you know, I think we need to kind of go back and take this from square one, almost as if I was doing premarital counseling for them, and start thinking about roles and responsibilities and the idea of complementing one another. And so we spent time, I mean, multiple sessions. And, and finally, you know, we, we finished that, and, and I looked up, and uh, the husband was looking at me, and he almost looked like a teenager standing there with his arms, arms folded. And he said, well, I'll start doing my part. And can you guess what he said? When she, yeah, you've heard that before. Yeah, right? When she starts doing her part. And I just looked at him. Now, first of all, I want to tell you, I don't want to see anybody elbowing anybody out there. This was not any counseling I've done in the St. Louis area. I'm talking... 12, 13, 14 years ago, okay? So you're safe, and uh, you're not, you don't have to have anybody coming to mind. But I looked at this guy, 
And I told him how sorry I was to hear that because I felt like he certainly needed to take the initiative. And he needed to do so not based upon what he was receiving, but what he was called to give. Under the authority of God the Father, placing a role and responsibility upon him. And so I understand the challenges that come and that even times we, we bring in the hurts with us. But to recognize that throughout the book of Colossians, if there is any theme that we have seen woven through, it's been a theme of redemption. And that even in Christ, he can take the pieces, the broken pieces of family and marriage, and he can help. And he can come alongside and provide strength and He can provide healing. And I realize that it doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect, or that in fact it may even be completely fixed as we'd expect, because we realize that in marriage and family issues, we're dealing with a lot of individuals. And it takes cooperation among husbands and wives. It takes cooperation between parents and children. And so we recognize that there are challenges there, but we don't want to discard the truth and the training of Scripture, this blueprint, nor do we want to discard the work of the Holy Spirit to come and work within our marriages and families. We looked a couple of weeks ago at what it was like to have a new life in Christ. The imagery in chapter 3, if you look back at verse 5 and go to uh, verse 17, is the idea of, of, of being something new, a new life, so you take off and you put on. And here's some of the things that, that, we've, that we've looked at. You put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires. That all comes from verse 5. Go on to verse 8. Putting away anger and wrath and malice and slander. Look at verse 10. Put on the new self, which is being renewed. And in doing so, what does it tell us that we put on? Look at verse 12. We put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. We bear with one another. We forgive one another. And in verse 14, it says, above all of these, put on what? Love, which binds them all together in perfect harmony. Now, why am I taking time to look at these verses? Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these verses, and then what do we see at verses 18 and 19? We see the marriage relationship. What do we see in verses 20 and 21? We see the parent-child relationship. Do you think there's any coincidence that all of these preceding verses speak about what we take off from the old self and what we adorn ourselves with in the new self? that there is a connection with these virtues. So if you're looking for something very practical to say, well, what do I take? What do I put in to my marriage? What do I put in to my parenting? I would begin right here in the same chapter and say, God, you have placed all these verses in close proximity to one another. Help me to put on this type, this type of clothing, this type of attitude, this type of love as I interact with my husband or with my wife or with my children. We see in verse 19, getting back to, uh, uh, to the role of the husband, that they are called to love their wives. And look at the latter part of the verse. It says, do not be harsh with them. 
And so, again, a, a, a verse that, that is so applicable today, speaking first of all about the kind of love that we are to have. And I know that, that in our language we have one word that we use for love most of the time. But in the Greek language there were, there were several words. There was, there was a love that spoke of a friendship love. There was a love that spoke of a, of a, of a passionate physical or erotic type of a love. But then there is an agape love, this unconditional, sacrificial love that I want to tell you, as I've, I've said over and over, it is a commitment. Oftentimes we take the word love and we think of it as being a feeling or an emotion. And are emotions and feelings connected to love? You bet they are. But they are not the sum total of love. Commitment and sacrifice is really what it means. So when when husbands are being told here to love their wives, they're talking, he's speaking to them about making a sacrificial commitment. The idea of laying down your life for the life of someone else. Now, that's a very different way of looking at even spiritual leadership. When you think of, of loving someone else to the point where you're putting their needs first, their desires first where you are, you, are, you are laying down your own life. So spiritual leadership is not license to do what you want to do, but it's empowerment to do the things that you ought to do. Or as another person said, it doesn't mean that you exist to have your needs met. It means that you exist to meet needs. Now, I'm standing here before you as a father of three children, ages 17, uh, 13 and 10. And I will tell you, I will glean a whole lot more from you all telling me principles of parenting. Because some of you all have been there and you have more experience than I do. And, uh, and, and, and yet you can also recognize how difficult and challenging it is to be, uh, to be a parent in these days. Now, I didn't realize that at the beginning. I can remember in, uh, in, in my first or second semester of seminary, that uh, there were some, some rural churches outside of Conway, Arkansas that must have been really hard up for someone to come and fill their pulpit because I got a few phone calls to go and preach. And uh, boy, you talk about nerve-wracking to go to these churches and preach. And I, had, I think I had about three or four sermons. And I don't know that any of them would, that, that I, I don't know. I don't, I'm trying not to remember a whole lot about those early preaching experiences. But nonetheless, one of my sermons that I had was, I simply titled The Family Sermon. And in one sermon, boy, I could come in as a second semester seminary student and I could talk about marriage and I could talk about family and children. I could, I'm sure I touched on this topic. And, and as I'd get the phone call to go to different churches, I'd ask Karen, do you think, think maybe I ought to preach the family, family sermon? The family, yeah, why don't you preach that one? Well, I'm kind of like the guy who said before I got married, I had three theories on raising children, but no children. Now that I'm married, I have three children, and I have no theories. <laughs> but we do look to the Word of God, because the Word of God helps. Look at verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And so right there, very practical application, both for the child to honor and obey. We even see this coming in from the, 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 uh, the Ten Commandments itself, just so foundational for a child to honor, to obey parents, and for, for parents, for, for fathers, it says here in particular, to not provoke their children, to not discourage them 
with the words that can be used. And, uh, and we know that those words, as we said earlier, can build up, but they can also tear down. Again, it's quite complicated in trying to calculate the importance of the relationship between the parent and the child. But I think we would all agree that the relationship that a child has with his parents is something that impacts the life of the boy or girl. From that point forward, so, so important. Now, there are no perfect parents, and would you agree that there are no perfect children? Some of you do. I, I, I don't believe in perfect parents or perfect children, frankly. But going back to the illustration of the greenhouse, we have to have conditions that are optimized for a young life to grow and to thrive. We talked about a number of these things earlier, and we see the need for provision and encouragement. But here in verse 20, when it's speaking about obedience, it's speaking about training and correction, which again is something that I think you would agree all of us as children, all of us uh, who are raising children, understand that discipline and correction is something that's needed. It's for their own safety, it's for their own uh, future, and sometimes it's for the safety of the whole family. I can remember um, not all that long ago uh, walking into the garage with our kids and getting into the van, and before I even started it, something smelled hot. Do you know what I mean by that? I could smell that something was burning, and I hadn't even started the car yet, so I'm thinking that maybe something had happened within the car, and so I'm perplexed by it. I'm talking out loud about it, and then finally I get a confession from the back seat where one of the sons says, Dad, I, uh, I accidentally lit a match. All right, well, first of all, thank you for telling me because I'm not going to go through under the hood of the car now, but how did you accidentally light a match, right? Well, he said, you know those matches over there that say that you can strike anywhere? He said, every time I try them, they never, they never work until today. <laughs> I, I, I rubbed it over on the, on the workbench, and sure enough, it went off, and so he put it right out. But of course, the garage still smelled like, uh, like smoke. Well, children need boundaries. They need correction. They need training for their own good, also for the well-being of the family. So again, what do we see? We see a blueprint here, part of the blueprint for a child to honor and obey their parents. I know this morning we've put our oar into a rather large sea, haven't we? I can already hear the emails, already read the emails that are coming in, right? About uh, this or that or the other from verse 18 or 19 or raising kids. I know we've only touched on some things. But if we can look at marriage and family, at children and parenting, in light of the book of Colossians, and see that in Christ we are to have a family and a home that is impacted and shaped by that relationship that we have with Christ. That is a huge step in the right direction for our homes. How do we navigate confusing times? How do we help our children as they see the differences between a family that's trying to center itself upon the gospel of Jesus Christ and being governed by the word with all the other examples that are out there today? I like to give an extended quote from Dennis Rainey. If you've heard him on the radio, Family Life Today, Family Life Ministry. Listen to his timely words about the role of the family in our society, and then we'll, then we'll pray together. He says, No church, community, or nation will rise higher than the spiritual condition of its families. Today our nation suffers from a sickness of the soul because our families are weak. Weak in their knowledge of God, weak in their convictions about God, 
weak in their experience of God, weak in their understanding of how to love one another. This is not how God intended it. The family is God's smallest unit in the battle for the soul of any nation. It is the place where the knowledge, fear, and love of the Lord are taught by parents and learned by children. The family is where character is planted and grown. If the soul of America is to be restored, it will be done one home, one family at a time. And in the church, we assist that by proclaiming God's truth for the family. And he closes by saying, we need a family reformation. Today, we consider these words. Thursday, we go as a nation, as we heard earlier, into a day called the National Day of Prayer. I know there's a lot of things to pray about for our nation, but I would ask as you pray on Thursday to pray for families. Pray for the families of our church. Pray for the families that, uh, that, uh, that are in our community. Pray for the families of our nation that we would no longer abandon the blueprint that God has for the home, but that we would seek to understand it and to the best we can to apply it in the way that would glorify Him. Would you bow with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank You again for Your Word. It is true and right. It is timeless. And God, we pray that You will help us as we take a challenging portion of Scripture today. And may You apply it to our lives with grace and sensitivity. May you use it as a way to bring about encouragement to the families of our church. God, I pray that that we can be a beacon of light, that we can be salt and light in our community. And we pray that, that how we care for one another and how we care for our families and how we invest ourselves in the next generation will give evidence of you at work in us and among us. We recognize our dependency upon you, and that's why we're glad that you indeed are supreme over everything. And so, Jesus, we ask for you to reign in our lives personally, but also may it have an impact in our marriages and in the relationships that children and parents have with one another. So, God, we pray, asking for your help, asking for your blessing and praying that you will continue to put into practice the things that we have listened to and looked at from your word today. We pray your continued blessing upon this worship service as we sing, as we give back tithes and offerings. May you be honored, and may you bless us as we continue this time of worship today. It's in Christ's name that we pray, and all of God's people said.